Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. Hey, what's up? Welcome to Social Jello with Angelo. I really appreciate you checking out the show.、Um, please stay tuned for after the show for some new things that I'm developing. I'll talk about that later.、Uh, this is part of the Kaju Kembo series. I know maybe some people may not consider it part of the Kaju Kembo series, but I do interview our brother Kyle from a Kembo background. And、uh, he kind of talks a little bit about his Kembo background. And I'm going to develop another podcast about the relationship between Kaju Kembo and Kembo. That's not this episode. This episode is about Kyle's journey. I really hope you enjoy it. All right, so I'm here with Kyle. Okay, your last name is Rizowski? Rizowski. Rizowski. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,、um, Kempo brother and also MMA fighter and MMA coach coming out of Shanghai, China.、Uh, the name of your gym is Animal MMA, is that right? Or did I, did I mess that up? Yeah, that's correct. All right, cool. No, that's、yeah. correct. <laughs> right. <laughs> right on, cool. My, my memory served me right for. The first time ever. Okay, so, well, before we get started,、um, I always ask all my people this.、Um, this is part of the Kaju Kembo series, as I mentioned earlier. Even though、mm-hmm. uh, Kyle is not a Kaju Kembo practitioner, he's related through the Kempo side, which is why I'm saying he's one of our Kempo brothers.、Uh, for you Kaju Kembo listeners or people that don't know anything about Kaju Kembo,、um, Ed Parker, I believe, is a really significant figure in the Kempo community, right? Yeah, it's Parker Kempo.、Yes. Yeah, Parker Kempo. And,、uh, and he was、uh, a while ago, there's some history between Kaja Kempo and Ed Parker and, and the Kaja Kempo community working with, with the Parker Kempo guys. So that's why I say he's kind of like a distant martial arts relative, if you will. <laughs> But、um, this、uh, episode is not about the history, it's about Kyle's journey. So,、uh, Kyle, real quick. How did you get started on your martial arts journey, brother?、Uh, well, when I was like four years old, I was actually scholastic wrestling.、Uh, I did that for a long time. And、uh, then, for some reason, when I was early, early teen years, I thought I was going to be a basketball player. And、uh, when, when I had the harsh realization that I could not jump very high, it,、uh, it was time to go back down to the ground again. So we just kind of、uh, went back and ended a little more wrestling. Then. I started Kempo when I was、uh, 20, was it 21 or 22? It, one of those years. I, I don't recall off the top of my head, but、uh, I, I really wanted to, to do mixed martial arts. I, I, I saw a, a live event on TV and it was really inspirational. So、uh, a buddy of mine actually, we, we started the Kempo on accident. And.、Um, It, was, it just turned out to be the closest、uh, school to where I was from, where my parents were living, I should say, at the time. A、uh, very desolate area in western New York with not a lot of martial arts academy options. But thankfully, I ended up at a Kempo school and I, I really enjoyed it. And、uh, we just kind of took it from there. So before that, you said you did a lot of scholastic wrestling. So you were doing wrestling back like in, in high school and. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even、uh, before that, like I said, like、uh, four years old,、um, our, our town didn't have a whole lot of money. 
for for athletic programs for children you know so it was like like basketball or wrestling like those are your choices wow so you ended up wrestling so you know my other question i had here was did you practice other styles before kempo so i i'm wrestling you did wrestling before kempo yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I wrestled like, like, like I said, uh, like freestyle, like scholastic wrestling for for a long time. Um, and then, I think when I was eleven years old, I I, I did about uh, a year of taekwondo. Oh. I, I got to to be like, like an orange belt, and then um, yeah, I remember it's like one day, it, it was like one of our first times sparring, and uh, I was just really too excited, and I think I went too hard. And then they asked me like, to calm down or whatever, you know, or I like, come back next time. And then we just never went back for whatever reason. I think my, my parents found it too stimulating, perhaps. <laughs> and then what would you, uh, I know it's kind of probably a big gap, right? Because you said that was when you were a kid. And then you got back, yeah. in, you got into Kempo when you were in your 20s. Um, yes. But do you remember noticing any differences from your childhood experiences with Taekwondo and then jumping into Kempo? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, like I said, when I was younger, it was too stimulating, and I don't think I understood all the ideals and everything. And it wasn't, uh, you know, for for lack of my my teaching or coaching that I was uh, available to me. That the the teachers were great. I I was just too young to understand the principles of what I was doing, and I just like wanted to do backflips and throw fireballs and stuff. So I didn't get it. <laughs> but then uh, when I got older and really figured everything out and like the ideology of it all and, and uh, the reasoning why, then it just kind of clicked and made much more sense and became uh, almost natural, I guess. And you started doing Kempo and you were in, where were you at that point? You were still in New York? Yeah. Yeah. Western New York. Western. Uh, my Kempo study was in Alden, New York. Okay. So you started doing Kempo out there because you were really, you were watching televised MMA fights. I'm guessing you were watching the UFC. Is that? Correct. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, uh, yeah, it was back in those days, in the, in the old glory days. Okay. And, well, uh, yeah. No, go ahead, please. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. You, uh, so glory days, probably uh, Pride. Pride was still around back then, right, too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That that was a very big uh, component of the inspiration as well. Um, yes, yeah, so, so we saw these, and, and like, we, we were trying to find something or some kind of avenue to, to get to do that. And the, the only thing we had within two hours was this uh, karate school, this this kempo dojo. So, a buddy of mine and I uh, we signed up just just to go to the spine classes on Tuesday nights at first. So you started. And then we ended up just staying after. All right. I'm sorry, Rod. So you came in, you came in for the sparring first. You came in for the sparring. Yeah, I mean, we we had uh, spoken with the owner of this school and kind of told him what our intentions were and what we wanted to do with everything. And he he's like, yeah, you know, well, we have sparring on Tuesday nights. Come in, and uh, we went in, and like immediately there there wasn't like a warm up or whatever. They put me with this black belt, who. who beat my ass like he he just like worked me over for for a while and then i was like just i was impressed everything that happened and like how unable i was to do anything so i had to go back the next day and figure it out right on and at that point yeah you go in just straight for sparring you've been watching some mma videos or watching mma fights what uh yeah. what did you were you doing like any self-practice back then like i don't know shadow boxing yeah yeah anything? yeah um 
the, the like like I said, the, the aforementioned uh, buddy I had, him, him like it, it was always him and I together. You know, my my, my friend Jimmy Sari, and uh, before we even had the the Kempo Dojo, we we had like a milk house that like, he worked on a farm, and uh, off hours we we would go to the milk house of, of this of this farm, and and it was winter when we started, so we had to use this this terrible like diesel heater. And it was either super cold or super hot, and and it was always like like ten minute intervals at best of either. So you're either passing out from like like close to dying from frostbite, or or you were dying from just consumption of of poisonous gas. It was it was really interesting, but yeah, it, it was like in, in this side little crappy house of a, of a barn, and we were like punching frozen tires, and we didn't know what we were doing. We were just trying to avoid tetanus, basically, but. Yeah, we we started there for a while, and, and we did that for like, I think three or four months, and then, and then we finally found the dojo. We, we talked to, to Sensei Cook, and and, and kind of worked everything out. And then what we would do is we'd go sparring, and then there was always an administrative work to be done afterwards. So there's always somebody left in the office. So for a while, they would just kind of allow us to be there for two hours afterwards, and. And we would just like try jujitsu. We didn't know what we were doing yet at all. And I mean, it wasn't really even like like a thing on YouTube yet that you could find videos for. But we would just like try to do stuff to each other and just fail miserably, you know, and, and just experiment. So we we did that for a long time until you know we we built the rapport and we established trust, and then we were able to just kind of get a key and stay after come and go when we please. And uh, we, we were just so dedicated with that. Not long after that, we ended up teaching. Oh wow! So you you started coming in on your own, practicing on your own. Then you started trying to figure out how the whole Kempo system worked, and uh, you started picking up Kempo. And uh, correct. And then from there, as time went by, which came first? You said you started. You started teaching kempo is that right no um excuse me at first <clears throat> we started teaching mma oh okay, okay. So, so so what had happened was uh we we took the kempo classes and everything and then we stayed after and um maybe the second month like, like the very beginning of the second month all of a sudden it started to be like jimmy and i plus like 10 people then plus like 15 then plus like 20 people all of a sudden and uh, Sensei one night is like, wow, you know, like, like we should just make this a class. Like, it, it doesn't make sense not to. So he proposed a trade. Like I can basically be, because at, at the time I I was still working, you know, trying to figure out what my next move in life was going to be. So money was very short. So he offered to trade where if I taught this MMA class for him, I could do all my Kempo training for free. Oh, nice. So it it just made a lot of sense. And then. One kind of led to the other, and since I started training more Kempo, I, I started really advancing the system quickly and, and understanding and grasping quickly, so I started teaching that after I was teaching the MMA. All right, so you were, if I if I get the story right, first three months, um, you were staying, you, you, gained tr you gained some rapport with the teacher, and mm -hmm. um, you started training in MMA with your friend, and then more people became interested in that class. That became a program. Correct. And that was just a way to kind of supplement your own training for the Kempo training. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. All right. And 
I guess this is kind of, I guess I don't know which one came first, but when did you know that you wanted to start teaching? Like, did you start, which came first? Did you start teaching or did you start cage fighting first? Uh, teaching first. Teaching oh. happened before the first fight. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, oh. Well, I mean, like, it, it was up to him and I basically because we had no MMA schools and like that. Like, we wanted to be MMA fighters, but we went to a Kempo Dojo. You know, so <clears throat> the way we looked at it is like, like these people could, could help us with our stand up. You know, it, it, it doesn't really fit into the niche of what we're looking at, but, but this is like the closest thing that we have to work with. Um, I had some wrestling background and we, we could just kind of like fill in the gaps with the jujitsu and stuff, whatever we could find online and try to practice with each other. So we started really simple, really rudimentary stuff and then uh, just kind of built off that and mainly at first because like back then there wasn't like, like was doing like 10th planet or twisters like rubber guard wasn't a thing you know what i mean like none of the stuff was a thing yet so so we had a very limited catalog of, of moves to do so we, we put a lot of cardio in it and it ended up being like like a circuit training class that started and then there'd be like you know uh 10 minutes of arm bar 10 minutes of like a triangle something after that and then we would just try to roll or spar and hopefully nobody dies <laughs> and, and and that's really how it went for like two years <clears throat> um but then you know like, like as as time goes by you gain knowledge and experience and then you figure out what to do and more importantly what not to do so things kept like improving slowly um we jimmy and i both got a fight on the same card but then my opponent my opponent ended up backing out or canceling it the day of so Jimmy got the fight first, and and it was really just it, it was bittersweet because like I I didn't get to participate in the degree I wanted to, but now I can fully kind of watch his whole journey come to be, you know, and, and that that was neat, and it it sucks. I feel bad now that you know I I cornered him because like at the time like who the hell else is gonna do it? But now I, I feel remiss that I wasn't ready to be doing that for him. And I probably caused him the service, so I mean that sucks. But <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's just a cool memory to have together. So wow. yeah, he fought first, and then and I fought shortly after, like a couple months after, and I just kept going. So you started fighting. You already had your MMA program going at the Kempo School. This is about a year, a year or two into your training with the Kempo. Yeah. And yeah. trying to mix it up and just trying to do what you can with the resources you had. And uh, when you started fighting, uh, where did you start fighting? In New York? Or? No, it, it was still illegal in New York then. Yeah, I was um, going to say, I, this, I'm pretty sure it's, it's still yeah. illegal now, right? Like it's been illegal for a long time. No, 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 no. Now, now it's, it's legalized oh, as really? of uh, 2018, I want to say. Yeah, they had oh, the okay. first show in, in Medicine Square Garden, and then they've had it oh. Buffalo since then too. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, but it, it was essentially like um, – was it two years after I had moved out of China? Uh, it became legalized and it was ratified in, in the city of New York. So before then, um, I did most. Well, I did all of my amateur career in Ohio, and then I had my first two professional fights in Connecticut. And then, uh, as far as America goes, the rest of them were either Ohio or West Virginia. All right, and then somewhere yeah. in this journey, as you just kind of briefly mentioned, and I 
think I already mentioned it earlier that you're coming from Shanghai, China. Mm-hmm. How did you end up in China? Um, well, actually, I got a, I had a few good fights in a row, and then there was um, better part of a year, probably like an eight month period of time where I, I was just uh, training. It was like six to eight hours a day of training. Um, I, I had a part time job, but I was also commentating fights. I was um, just like traveling, cross training like crazy, to just really trying to establish a name and make community. And uh, it just got to a point where I'm, I'm like, I had my own like, podcast show and everything to where people start asking me, you know, to come to these shows and do this, like kind of stop by, be a guest sort of thing. And it was nothing to the point of being like celebrity or famous. I'm not, I'm not claiming that by any means at all, obviously, because nobody knows who the hell I am still. But just in, in the manner of like, I'm starting to establish a a known presence at these shows like oh yeah well this guy knows what he's talking about you know what i mean like he's not gonna bullshit you about anything with this like educated guy fighter like he knows what he's doing basically and he's not gonna make you look stupid if you want to have him as some kind of a face or voice for your company so i started getting more and more known like went around more had a couple good fights and then i got an email um from a guy who was actually from america but was living in china at the time to come out and compete for a few months just to try to like see what the land was like. And, uh, I did, um, my girlfriend at the time, Rebecca and I, we came out together and she's also a fighter. So we, we both came out competed and, uh, we really liked it. So we came back and ended up coaching more. And we, we did like two or three, uh, three month stays and then just decided to make it a permanent move. All right. So, when did you leave the Kempo school? Um, I believe it was 2012 or, or 13, maybe. Um, when I turned pro for MMA, I had to move to Ohio just to kind of, uh, well, really accommodate the, the MMA, career, MMA career that I wanted. All right. It had been right. too difficult to, to try to train up here without a real school and then go down to Ohio fight you know they want to have camps and stuff so just it made sense and so you went down to you went down to ohio to a mma gym yes uh evolve mma all right all right all right so you need to, <clears throat> to evolve mma to continue your yep. your progress did you stop training in kempo at that point or did you keep training on your own or well i when i would come back to new york i would, I would train but but um it's it's hard to find Kempo schools, honestly. There there were none in Ohio, in, in my area. I would have had to drive like three hours in southern Ohio to find one. So sadly, um, as far as my progression, I was still training Kempo, but my progression stopped there. All right, all right. It's like the opposite problem. Like over there, you couldn't find an MMA, and then <laughs> one of those places, yeah, and right? you couldn't find Kempo. Yeah. <laughs> so you kept progressing. As you mentioned earlier, um, you... You started your your professional career as an MMA fighter, mm-hmm. and uh, and I kind of want to maybe yeah we, we still have we have some time so I kind of want to talk about it a little bit I want to touch on that transition that a lot of people I feel it's kind of a mystery to them like a lot of people maybe okay. martial artists that martial artists and non martial artists um, have this idea that to become big in MMA, 
you get you get as many fights as you can, and then you become a professional, and then you're on the UFC, and then that's it. Like that's how a lot of people see it. Like they, just, they don't no. really know they don't really know the no. steps and and the stuff and, yeah. the, and like all the stuff that happens is the background. Um, right. And the fact that the UFC isn't the only venue that MMA fighters have mm-hmm. to to make a career out of themselves. So would you mind kind of explaining that a little bit, like kind of demystifying? that process yeah for sure um so uh, well i my story in particular is just uh i mean i i moved kind of away from the opportunities um as i i I was not able to foresee when they were coming where you know um i leave new york it becomes legal in new york (laughs) it's just it's it's that kind of thing it's i've always kind of uh accidentally been running from mma i should say even um the ufc but uh, as far as that goes, now that there are a billion fighters now, it, I mean, just there's just so many dudes to where it, it's foolish to think that anybody is going to get inside the UFC when they have anything less than ten fights already. It's just it, it's it's silly. Um, when I was active in America, the rule was um, you had to have at least five amateur fights so so this is fighting not only for free but like paying your own money for the medical test paying your own money to to get to where like the travel was now covered you know what i mean you're 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 paying basically i I think my my first amateur mma fight it probably cost me about like 350 dollars between the national license the state license the medical tests the gasoline for travel I think the only thing that was covered was the hotel that night. So th- there's just this giant, like, grand package prize thing that everybody feels like is going to happen immediately. It's not there. So this is just at an amateur level. So this is unpaid fights. Uh, you're basically paying all these medical stuff just to be able to compete, just to potentially get hurt. <laughs> now, at the time, I, the rules may have changed, but it was um, you needed at least five amateur fights before you considered turning professional, before anybody even was like, thinking of allowing you to be a professional fighter. You had to have at least three of those be wins, so it had to have a winning record of the five, and then the most recent fight you had had to be a win as well. So if you were like two and two as an amateur and then you lose a fight, that's your fifth fight, but you still couldn't turn pro. And this is in Ohio anyway. So you'd had to fight again as an amateur, win that fight just to be able to be considered to, to be allowed to be a professional. So <clears throat> this all works state by state as well. Every state has different rules. So I had nine amateur fights, but I actually ended up losing my last amateur fight by decision in the state of Ohio, but then I got a fight offer in the state of Connecticut as a professional. And that was my next one. So I kind of found a loophole in the system, but still, again, like, like you know, you go up there and there's no guarantees on, on anything as far as win, lose money wise. There's, you don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's a fight. <laughs> so all that being said, you're basically paying money and taking chances just to get job interviews is the best way to, to to really kind of articulate this. Now, what you see 
in the UFC, the, the guys that have like maybe 10 fights, 15 fights, these dudes are all like 15 and oh, you know, 13 and two, 14 and one, but they have like 10 knockouts. They have 10 crazy submissions. You can't go in and be like a decision winning fighter because that says one that like you're, you're not like pressing it. So you're probably not going to be an exciting fighter to watch according to the fan base. So you're not going to be selling pay-per-view gates. You're not going to be selling tickets to live audiences. All these things factor in, <clears throat> you know, and it even comes down to things like, and, and I, I hate to put it in such, but these are the most real terms as possible. Are you an ugly fighter? Are you a boring fighter? You know, all, all these things are, are, are absolute factors. Where did you come from? Like, like Even down to, to the political alignment of what state you're from. Because maybe if you can sell tickets there, but the owner of the company isn't the same political alignment, you guys aren't going to see eye to eye. It's crazy, but it goes that far. So to, to really like get to that level now, you have to be something special. And you have to get great opportunities. And the best way to do this is to go to good camps. The best way to get into good camps and be, even be accepted in the door for these classes is you have to make a name for yourself. <laughs> So it, it, it's, it always reminds me of going back to that cycle when you're 16. It's like, oh, I need a car. But I, need a, I need a job to get a car. I need a car to get a job. You know what I mean? It's like the same shit. Like, you, you have to establish yourself, but you need a team. But you need a team to establish yourself. And for all that shit to happen, like everything has to like fall in line correctly. And then maybe you get like a contender series fight for a UFC then you have to win that. That's your job interview. And then every single fight you have after that is another job interview. So it's like every single time you go out, you're, you're literally fighting to keep your job. So it, it's a very hard road, and that's why so few people do it, and even fewer people have such great success at it. And how did you, how did you not get discouraged in the middle of all that? Oh, I mean, yeah, it, USC would be cool, but it's it's not what I need for my legacy. You know, like uh, my my goal was to be a successful MMA fighter, and I guess it really depends on what you value as success. Like I was able to take something that that really at the time I started was kind of like a passion project, or even if you want to call it such, like, like a last ditch option to do something with it. And now I'm able to support my family with it. Like I, I'm able to through fighting have a career have have a self-sustaining gym you know i got i have I have business of my own I, basically all through just getting punched in the face for, for lack of better terms um i was never cut out for studying or or nine to five jobs so i had to figure out something and literally i would rather get punched in the face than, than work a nine to five so <laughs> so here we are um it, it, there were definitely more than a few times of discouragement. I mean, anytime you get hurt and you can't go train, I mean, anytime even like like some stupid like ringworm or staph infection happens, you can't train. It's like, well, you know, why the hell am I doing this? If everything can be jeopardized by some stupid little lack of soap, like, like what the hell is this all for? It just doesn't make sense. But I mean, that's the way it is with everything. That's the way it is in life for everybody, which is more evident now than ever. I mean, we we're all in the same crap. Doesn't matter what profession you are, you're stuck at home right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it kind of it kind of it kind of levels the playing field mentally, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. 
you kind of answered the question I had down the line about how martial arts helped you outside the dojo. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, looking at it, you know, you know, you just you kept pushing forward, like you said, you were never cut out for the standard nine to five job, and that's what kind of pushed you to push yourself to get what you well. What you, a, what you a, a lot of it is that. too, like like my, uh, my my wife has been here the whole time as well. You know, like it, it's been it's been very much a team effort kind of thing. Like there's been times where uh, I I can't get fights, you know, or I I don't have a coaching job or I'm not working. She, she works and then she works more. She, she, she would be coaching. She'd be doing like private boxing lessons in the park or she's teaching classes and then, you know, vice versa. Like, she couldn't get fights. Maybe I had to do extra ones for some, excuse me, for someone, uh, have like two in one night, you know, like three in one week, something like it's just back and forth. There's no way I could have done this on my own for sure. There, there's absolutely no way. Um, I think, if if I had been by myself, the, the discouragement definitely would have. I, I, I think it, well, I, I want to say it wouldn't have won, but you know I, I can't say for sure. But I, I I tend to believe that I, I would not have been able to survive, especially in a foreign country, if she hadn't been here. So it's 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 one of those things that everybody else needs to understand, especially as a fighter. Like even if you're the only guy fighting, there are so many people that have to help you get there. It's, it's it's not an individual sport. So kind of going back to, um, like, when we were talking about, you know, I, I have a question on here at the end of the show where I say, what advice do you have for someone starting in martial arts? But I think I'm going to go more right now into your story as, an, as a journey in MMA, kind of looking at the idea that, first of all, you have to get a lot of fights, you have to win a lot of fights, you have to have a good support network. You have to have yeah. a good team. A lot of people do look at fighting as an individual sport, but what you're saying it's not. It has to do with your camp and it has to do with your team because they're, yeah. the, they're the ones that are going to get you through that. For sure. So in your case, you went from you, – you, you felt there was more opportunities for you to fight and get paid in China. So yeah, you went to China yeah. to fight. Uh, what kind of venues were you fighting for in in China? Oh man, <laughs> that's uh, when we first got here. That was a crapshoot. Um, the very first fight event that I had, well, it, it wasn't an MMA fight. I don't remember what city it was in, to be honest with you. But there were standing eight counts for MMA fights. Like people just didn't even know what it was yet. Like, like, like I, I literally uh, this fight. It, on my record, I call it. I call it. And th- this is my ego, like saying, like, "Oh, it's a, it's a no contest." Somewhere in, in someone's books, it, it's considered a loss. But I got basically knocked down, and, and I am a ground fighter, you know. So it's like, cool. If we go to the ground, whatever, come what may. But I got I got knocked down, and then standing eight count, and then when I didn't get up in time, and I'm completely coherent and fine, you know, like like I'm fighting MMA. The referee starts counting and then waves his hands, and I'm I'm dumbfounded. I'm just like, okay, um, do I do I have to say sorry to somebody for this? Like, I, I, don't, I don't. What's the next step here? And, and I, I just remember being very confused, trying not to freak out. And then our manager, I was, oh, this is just how things are here. Like, nothing can do about it. And my wife, oh, she's my girlfriend at the time, but 
oh man she was so mad just like trying not to rip people's heads off it's like okay like we'll, you know we'll just talk this one up to experience and then we'll see what happens the next time and uh the next one i remember a bit more clearly we, we went to genon and uh the, the the big takeaway in my head still mentally from this is, is the bathroom. So it this was like the equivalent of a high school that was next to like a soccer slash football field. And on the ends of this field, one of the ends of this field was this outhouse bathroom that I, I'm not lying. I'm not embellishing. You could smell when you got off the bus, like 800 meters away. Like It, it, it was amazing. It, it was a place, this this outhouse was so dirty, my wife walked into it, came back out, and looked at me, she says, I choose to go out behind it. Like, my wife literally went outside of the outhouse, like, that's how bad it was. Anyway, so we, we have to walk, and then we, we, our wolf area is like this little tiny gym, it's attached to this school, after we walk across this field, and every fighter's in there, so it's not just like blue corner, not just red corner, like everybody in there is together and we are like two of the three foreigners so it, it's it's really weird for us and we were both fighting that night too um so we were just getting ready and like feeling awkward like it, it's not been like this for us anywhere else ever this is our first time where like we have integrated locker rooms and uh we're both fighting and so it, it's just a very like tense air you know um we get escorted, she fought first, and, and we get escorted to, like, it looks like this little fishbowl of, it's like if the Coliseum and the fishbowl had a baby. <laughs> this is a really tiny, like, just, I don't know, like, gladiator venue, but it was very much shaped in, like, you know, a, a spherical manner, and it was packed. It, it, it was just, it, it it was nut to butt inside it. And then like people were literally like sneaking into these like giant metal gates outside and they had military with guns. It was really, I don't know. It was an intimidating scene. Uh, Becca won her fight. She's like murdered this girl. So like, we're all happy, but everybody is so amazed at the white people being there. Like we could not even leave the venue to go back to the locker room to get ready for my fight. Like we, like people just wouldn't move. So I had to like scream, like I had to use like my anger goes like move, and like these dudes with guns are like using like the bayonets to like get us space between these crowds and people trying to sneak in. So we went back and like got ready for my fight, and uh, it was a real wild fight, you know. But um, we both ended up winning that night. But I just remember like at any time feeling like these guys with guns. There's only about four or five of them. There's like. I don't know how many people here that are just in the crowd. Like this could go south at any time. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> we're, we're the only foreigners here. Like I, I don't feel safe at all. But it turned out to be like one of the most gratifying and like a really nice, like heartwarming experience we've had here. Like, it was the first time we both fought together the same night. We both won. Uh, actually, a lot of that night was in this documentary that we're in, and it, it was just a lot of memories. Like it, it was just a really scary beginning but wonderful ending but yeah just, just things like that just random places where you don't know if you're gonna walk out of it when you walk in and then you end up having like an awesome night it's not the comfort zone for sure and you mentioned a documentary you want to let my listeners know where they can find it and the name yeah it, it's called the new masters i don't know how much it has to be left editing it. it's one of those like been editing for five-year project type okay. things but um yeah, it's got uh it's got Song Kanan from uh UFC in it as well. 
and a couple other fighters who were doing the same thing we are, like being over here in China and trying to uh, spread and develop MMA across the country. And again, just to clarify, this wasn't through the UFC. This is through other venues that pay people to come out and fight. Oh, correct. Yeah, there's so many. There's um, there's just an infinite amount. There's no sanctioning body here. Like we're in the U.S., there is a an athletic commission, state by state, and then a national athletic commission. So every bout is sanctioned. There's like specific rules that have to be followed in order for this to be considered an actual bout. They don't have that out here. Like in in America. If you lose a fight by any way, shape, or form, you have a like a, a period that you're not allowed to fight again. Even if you win a fight, like you can't go fight again the next week. You know, it, it's just not allowed by the health commissions. It's not legal. Here, it's like you, I, 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 there's been a couple times I fought twice in one night. You know, three times in a week, and it's just the. Like, in America, maybe like you fight once every three months, four months. You have like training camps. Here, it's like, hey, you busy Saturday? Yeah, <laughs> you weigh this much? Cool, get on a train. So I mean that that that's it, it's it's crappy, but it's also cool because I mean, if you're in shape and you need the money and want the opportunity, then it's awesome. But at the same time, it's like if you don't understand the consequences and the long term effects of what's happening to your body as you're fighting. It's a short-term, cool, long-term shit. You kind of have to know your own... You have to be, you yeah, have to be yeah. your I'm own a, guardian, if you will, in the middle of all that. Yeah. yeah. The, I, I have, the one fight I have for 1FC I took on like a few days' notice, and, and actually I got a call during our uh, anniversary party. So I, I was literally like puking. Like I was puking from drinking too much when I got a call from 1FC to fight in a couple of days. Oh, like all right you know what whatever we'll, we'll do that that's cool and i ended up losing the fight it was a shitty camp whatever but you know that's that's one of those things but then i remember not long after that we're talking about move like we moved our apartment and i'm thinking about retiring you know i'm like i'm getting older i'm like 34 35 i don't know if i should keep doing this and then during the one fc fight i i was approached by this guy <clears throat> about some fight league and like we we don't speak the same language so it was a really like rough muddled conversation and then i said yeah you know whatever cool we'll, we'll talk later and somehow through this i ended up agreeing to fight for this fight team in, in a league and i had no idea and th this was called chin woman and like i was literally considering retiring and then they tell me uh december 2017 okay you got to fight okay cool like uh when is it like uh february march no no it's in two weeks like oh <laughs> uh um no he's like no what, what you told us you would like look at your name is on this paper and then he shows me this whole list and lineup of something i'm already a part of and i had no idea and it's this whole seasonal thing <clears throat> to where basically every team has five fighters and it's not like, like a team like we're not like fighting all at the same time but it's like you have one fight two fights, three fights that you have five different fights for your team and you, your team has to win three of those to advance to the next round. So it's, it's kind of like a tournament play thing. And again, I had no idea I'm in it, but we, like we kept winning. So it was me and like these four guys and they changed every time. Like it, it, I had a new team every time I went and fought. So it's, it's just like the white dude and then these guys, but we, we kept winning. And then it just like this, instead of like having a fight every month, 
this was a monthly event and there was no like you have to fight this guy in particular it's your team fights this team so before this given day or th this like cut off for this event this team can switch out anybody they want to at that weight so like you do you have no idea who the hell you're fighting who who's you're fighting with who, who's on your team who's against you and you just kind of like rock, rock out there and just hope for the best. And I just remember, I, I didn't talk to anybody the first three fights. I'm like eating by myself. Everybody thought I was crazy and that I was deaf. Like I couldn't talk. And, and it was just, I was just super isolated, you know. And, and it was a fight every single month. And I was feeling like crap for the first one. But I ended up winning like four in a row, you know. And then I'm feeling awesome. And then I lost my fifth one. And then I lost uh, by decision. So I fought all 15 minutes of this MMA fight that Saturday in May. And then the following Saturday, I ended up having a boxing fight. And that also went to decision. So it's like, like stuff like that doesn't happen in America. You know, you get, you get like one maybe every three months. Like I literally had one every month for Chin Woman and then two in the same month with a boxing fight. So it's just... Wow. They, yeah, well... It's 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 like I said. It's it's good and bad because no one knows what long term effects of this will be for other people. You know, like I'm thankfully good at defense and good at covering my stupid face up, but a lot of people aren't. Yeah. And that there's some long term health risks that are involved with this that people don't understand here yet. And somewhere I know we're we're almost wrapping up with our with our hour here, but, um, somewhere in the middle of all of this, you, uh, you opened your gym. Did you open your gym when you first came out or did that happen a little later? How did that happen? Oh no, we, we uh, we, we worked for other people for a while and we just got sick of that and just how people were treating their employees and their fighters. So we decided to open the gym, my wife and I, um, a year and a half ago. Okay. Right. Yeah, and we've we started a small place, and then we we got a bigger place and like expanded, and now we're we're still kind of building up, um, getting through this whole virus thing. We're we're still surviving, still alive, and getting better. And I was noticing that uh, I saw a picture of you with a with a belt. Is that is that correct? Did you did did you, uh, you eventually win a championship? Which I I actually have eight. Ooh, nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have uh, three from America, and then I have one five out here. Oh, nice, nice. And um, yeah, yeah. what years did that happen in, if you don't mind? Um, so the the first belt that went out here was one of those two flights and one night uh, tournament things. That was 2000, uh, the end of 2015. And then I won uh, my second one in the end of 2017. <clears throat> um, third one was in Macau in August 2017. Then I won another in Shanghai May 2018. And then 2019 in August was the recent world championship in Macau. First of all, congratulations on on that win and and on being able to accumulate the rest of them. You Thank know, you. That, that's awesome. Thank you very much. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, 
I guess we're almost finishing up here, but I want to get your thoughts real quick. What do you think about using Kempo in MMA? Um, so there's a lot of self-defense techniques in Kempo, in particular, like that end with uh, throat chops or, or nut gouges, you know, th- things that, that rules in MMA don't apply. And uh, obviously I can't use those, but um, I do use a lot of the motions, especially, it sounds weird, but but a lot of the kata, um, some of the moves are inapplicable. Like you, you cannot do an upward block into like a downward raking eagle beak in the UFC and expect any kind of success from that. But, a cat stance, you know, switching from like a forward bow to a neutral bow, a step through, you know, roundhouse, like things like this, like transitions as far as your, your footwork and your stance are really awesome. And I, I've learned so much of this through Kempo, and it has made my stand up weird and mildly unpredictable for, for people. And, and that's, that's awesome because I'm slow <laughs> and I'm not an explosive striker, you know, so I need to have these kind of sneaky tricks and, and little nuances to, to my, my stance and my approach to have these advantages. So, yeah, Kempo's been awesome for, for, MMA, for me. And you, you mentioned Kata, too. Uh, you said that Kata's mm-hmm. helped you with your, with your stances and your, and your footwork. How do, what, do you, yep. what, is your thought, what are your thoughts on Kata? I know some people hate it. and they, I know uh, when I talked yep. to, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I, I interviewed John Hackleman, if you've, I haven't seen that episode. Scroll through, you'll find it in the Kaju Kembo series. But um, I know for him in particular, he he really hated kata and he he eliminated it from his system. <laughs> but yeah. um, what what do you what are your thoughts? How how did, how 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 has kata helped or not helped you? Well, see, he is able to do that because he's he's a world famous striking coach known from MMA. You know, so a lot of the people that go to see him want to eliminate that kind of stuff and just kind of go where he goes for me it's i i would want to eliminate 90 percent of the kata let's say so like i said like i'm not gonna be doing eagle beaks or like you know like crane stances or anything like that but step through techniques um v steps cat stances i see a lot of this and i apply a lot of this just in my movements and that and i feel like if i can get rid of the the things that really are inapplicable and, and not super effective, but still have the movements and the motions and, and things that create inertia and momentum, then I can keep those while adding it to more efficient strikes and more thought out advanced combinations. Then yeah, awesome. like that's cool. But <clears throat> I, I, I tend to lean on the same side of the fence as Mr. Hackleman. Yeah. And I mean, like, like I like you said, um, we have a saying in Kaju Kembo, and you know, Hackleman created his own version of Hawaiian Kempo, but he comes from our branch of Kaju Kembo. Mm-hmm. And the reason he was able to become and do what he did and have that freedom is because Kaju Kembo allows their students to, once they get their black belts, to eliminate what they don't like and kind of mm-hmm. create their own system. No, I wouldn't say system. Yeah. Kaju Kembo is a system, but they're allowed to apply their own methods to that system. So that's where it kind of. Uh, that's where it kind of works as far as um, what you just mentioned, throwing away what's not useful yeah, for you. Capo is a beautiful thing, and, and you can make any martial art that you want kind of like a paint-by-number. And what I mean by this is your sensei can give you this beautiful outline of, of a picture and give you specific 
colors to use, but what shade is up to you? You know, and, and that's the really cool thing and, and the nuanced thing about MMA is, is you can add completely different shades to everything. I mean, there's different levels. There's different heights. There, there's there's just so many ways to lose and win that now the, the options are there. A beautiful portrait can be made. Well, brother, um, I guess before we wrap up, what's some advice you have for someone who doesn't know anything about martial arts and wants to get started? What's your advice for them? Listen to your gut first. Listen to your coach second. And always breathe. Nice. Well, you heard it here. Well, I want to thank you, Kyle, one more time for joining us. Thank you, Angelo. Much love. And for my listeners, please stay tuned for the wrap-up. Thank you very much for checking out this episode of Social Jello with Angelo. I really appreciate it. Um, Right now, I'm developing a new show, I guess you can say. I I started a new YouTube channel called LOL Lounge. Um, Just, you know, this is just some, some cleanup I wanted to do. I know that a lot of you that watch this particular channel or interested in martial arts and that's what you want that's what this channel will always have for you is martial arts content um maybe some serious conversations a little later diving more into my psychology background but i'm going to try to keep it at that and this will always stay a podcast again if you want to check out this podcast you don't want to watch youtube videos that's totally cool if you're already listening to this as a youtube as a podcast (laughs) that is please jump on youtube and subscribe that's most support you can show for the show right now is it's just subscribe to YouTube because if I get enough subscribers, I can finally get some money to produce more things. Um, but for those of you who are watching this on YouTube, if you don't want to watch this on YouTube, I appreciate you subscribing. If you can um, or if you want, you can listen to this on TuneIn Radio, FM Radio, there's a, a FM player. There's a whole mess of podcasting apps that you can download and my show is there for free. I'm not on Spotify because you have to pay for that service and I'm not looking to charge anyone to actually listen to the show. So if you want to listen to it from your phone on the go, I do suggest just look up Social Jello with Angelo on Google and you're going to see a bunch of other podcasts and free internet apps. I personally prefer TuneIn Radio um, just because it has a lot of other great podcasts like the Joe Rogan podcast and it's all free and it's really easy. You just listen to it on the go if you're running or if you're driving your car, just stick it on your Bluetooth and you can drive and listen to the show. That's what I like to do. I really appreciate the support and I'll catch you all later. Peace.